0: I'm Jeff Stewart, Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist, and I want to welcome you to my podcast, From Crisis to Connection. Each week on this podcast, my guests and I will give you and your loved ones resources and tools to heal from the crises of infidelity, pornography, abusive behaviors, and betrayal trauma. But we also talk about how to build and maintain healthy connection in your most important relationships. Thanks for listening. I'm so glad you're here. Welcome back, everyone. Today, we are going to continue our interview with Dr. Adam Fisher talking about patterns that couples find themselves in when they're stuck. And these patterns show up in our therapy offices all the time, but it's also a really great opportunity for you to make sense of these patterns on your own, to look at all the different moving pieces, how you're showing up, how your partner's showing up, and to zoom out so that you can work together to change the trajectory of your relationship and learn how to reliably shape and direct your love with each other. And in this interview, we go through several of them. I believe Adam says he has a total of twelve. So we've broken this up into several chunks so that you can really take time to listen to it and digest it all. So let's jump right into this interview with Dr. Adam Fisher.
1: So the next one is sort of a over what's what they call overfunctioning, underfunctioning. This isn't necessarily about how much each person is actually doing in life or in the marriage or in the house or at work or whatever. It's more like how each person feels about what's happening. So the overfunctioner, this is someone who feels like... So I'm just going to use some gender stereotypes. The overfunctioner feels like she's doing everything. Uh, <laughs> she feels like she's doing everything. She does everything. She's responsible for everything. And the under-functioner, he doesn't follow through or he doesn't do it right. When he does volunteer for something, he gets it wrong. She makes all the decisions. Underneath this, she has sort of anxiety about loss of control. So she tries to sort of manage things more. Um, of course, that makes him feel resentful. But really, that resentment goes both ways, right? Why aren't you doing enough? And you'd never get off my back. Underfunctioner says that overfunctioner is always complaining. Overfunctioner says, ah, I'm overwhelmed. Underfunctioner says, you know, that they're afraid of failing. Sometimes they sometimes, sometimes they don't want to take responsibility because I'm going to be criticized for doing it wrong. I'm, I'm, I'm now loading the dishes wrong or I'm folding the laundry incorrectly. It's never happened to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, there, there's, that, there's that fear. Like, I'm going to be corrected by the overfunctioner. So I'm either just going to stop. Like, this especially comes up in couples where, like, say, one partner, partner has a disability or, or something like ADHD. This can come up uh, really easily. Or my personal favorite, the underfunctioner might get back at the overfunctioner later on in some way you know in marriages when one person is kind of like up here and it looks like they're sort of managing and they're in charge and they're bossing the one bossing the other one around this person's going to find a way to get back at them and it's usually kind of passive aggressive they might do a variation of this like a parent adolescent thing like you have this like parent trying to coach the other one or teach them or like a moral high ground moral low ground like i know the way this is the correct way to be or live and you're doing it wrong but again it's not a Actually, about who's doing what, but how they feel about what they're doing. It's about, you know, overfunctioner feeling burdened and resentful, and that they think the underfunctioner is irresponsible. The couple doesn't agree on this, though. They haven't agreed mm-hmm. that, like, this is actually the case. It's just this is how they each perceive it. The overfunctioner gives a lot of unsolicited advice, analyzes the underfunctioner. Well, my husband's just depressed, or he's lazy, or whatever. And we, you know, which is sort of a boundary. Issue to sort of label your spouse. A lot of criticism. Sometimes the underfunctioner will hide or keep secrets or keep things sort of not visible. Here's what I see: how this starts out in like I work with a lot of like, like new marriages and engaged couples and whatever. Sometimes this starts off in a relationship with the overfunctioner being helping, sure, or they're encouraging. You know, they're going to be supportive, <laughs> like. Marriage is really, we're going to really help each other grow. Well, that's great. I definitely believe that marriage is to help people grow, you know, in terms of what one of the main goals, one of the main purposes of marriage is growth. But in this case, it's one-sided, right? One person's going and going, I'm going to, I'm going to push my spouse, I'm going to make them over, they're going to grow. But this starts to become criticism and pointing out faults in subtle ways. So the goal here really... How can we become two adults instead of like this? How can we become two adults who make decisions together? How can we process those underlying fears or shame that we've hidden, experience some of these more vulnerable feelings? And again, just like talk to each other as equals. Sometimes I catch myself sort of saying to couples like, could you say that again to him, but as his equal, instead of like Mm. as his mother. And I know you don't want to be his mother because ew. But <laughs> yeah. you yeah. don't want to do that. I get that, but could you say that not as his mother and as his equal partner? So that's sort of the over-under functioning. Mm.
2: Yeah. yeah, that's really profound. It's such an it's such a simple shift, just to move from a, a hierarchical way of of viewing your partner to just how can you just meet him, meet him as a peer, but much yeah. more respectful. And it sounds so simple. I mean...
1: <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it sounds simple.
2: Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I guess that's that's the beauty of it, is that it's a very simple reframe. And so maybe it just requires a little more self-discipline or courage in the moment. Yeah. But the end result is what people are really looking for.
0: I think people want that. I think, oh, I yeah. think you come into marriage. I don't think anybody consciously wants to be in that dynamic Mm-mm. because they... I think that the part of the the, the remodeling of the begging, the like the, the bossing, whatever, is to sort of create equality. Like I want us to be in the same place and do the same things, but it's it's from such from like a top down power position of I know the right way. It's so disrespectful, but it's seductive, man. So I'm yeah. curious.
2: Do you find when you're able to help couples meet each other in a, a mutually respectful place? did those do the perspectives Of, you know, I'm doing so much and you're doing so little. Do they soften? Do they kind of dissolve a little bit as that happens?
1: Often, often they do. One of the tricky things with this one is that with mixed gender couples, and there's been a lot of research on this, even when the husband and wife both work outside the home, both have full time jobs. Even when they both say we're feminists, we're egalitarian, we don't believe in any kind of like gender differences. Even in these situations, wife still does more housework,
2: mm-hmm.
1: according to research. Yeah. So that's true in a lot of cases. Yeah. In, in general, it's true. It's a fact in general. And it's specific, in a lot of cases, it is, it is true. And so how to not do this pattern while also acknowledging that it's likely that she is actually doing more and how to not make the marriage about how much you're doing. Maybe she, I don't, I don't know any specific situations. I'm not speaking to anyone in particular, but like, maybe she needs to do less. Maybe he does need to do more, mm-hmm. but how do you manage that as equal adults and not continue the pattern, which just, you know, yeah. makes it worse. Yeah. So yeah, speaking for myself. Yeah. Of course I need to do more for sure. Yeah. And I'm not sure I'm ever going to get out of that one, but how do we navigate that as an, as equal partners?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Decide together what needs to happen. What needs to change. Mm-hmm.
0: Right, and and, see, and being aware of how you're talking to each
1: other about it, and keeping mm-hmm. that equal,
0: that's mm-hmm. kind of what you're
1: saying, Adam. Right? Like, yeah, totally. That conversation, in fact, just the first few steps of a of a conversation, even like someone brings up an issue, usually there's one person who brings up an issue, and that first sort of back and forth a little bit, how that goes is really important. It sort of sets the tone for the rest of the pattern, rest of the the conversation that day or that and that hour. That's really, what we're really looking at what, that's where I'm really looking at with couples a lot is in the initial kind of back and forth interaction, because sometimes it starts off really bad or one person brings it up really harshly or it's sort of not clear and passive or whatever it is. How they're talking about it is really important. And it's also like one of the few things you can actually work with. A lot of this is sort of pie in the sky. Like we do this thing, but like, how does it actually look when we talk to each other? How do you actually say whatever to him? Yeah, because that part's more measurable. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it probably divulges more about what's really going on what the underlying, some of the underlining beliefs and perspectives are that contribute to the problem.
1: So that actually brings me to the right into the next pattern, because what a person who's been doing the over-functioning kind of parent role sometimes will do when they hear information like this is they'll want to go teach their spouse. <laughs> I they just left. You
2: can't not be the parents.
1: Oh, you, you didn't know that was going to
0: happen tonight, Jody. <laughs> yeah, uh, I set aside some time so I could
1: do some teaching.
2: Oh, I've got a thing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this is my personal favorite. You know, if if you're a therapist, you may have found yourself in this role especially. And I did this for years. And this is one thing that, like, again, so historically. So my wife and I went to an EFT therapist and worked on that pursue withdraw a pattern. It was so helpful and it really changed our relationship in terms of attachment and connection. I love EFT. I use it a lot with couples. One thing it didn't do, which is just outside of the model, is address this thing about how I was teaching her.
2: Uh,
1: I was this frustrated teacher and she was this this resistant student who wouldn't listen to my really good evidence-based marriage materials. So it's it's usually about the relationship, right? So the, the teacher... You know, I, I know what a good relationship is. I know how to communicate. I know how to parent. You know, I know how sexuality should be expressed. I've labeled myself as more knowledgeable. I'm more competent. I feel like I just need to share what I know. <laughs> to share. Because I know so much stuff. And the student, you know, I can't compete with that. How do yeah. I compete with it? It's especially bad. At, like maybe my, as a student, maybe my teacher spouse has gone to grad school. That's even worse. So hopefully they <laughs> haven't if they have now, now they know all this stuff, and they've read the books, and they've they've worked with couples that are even, maybe even worse than us, so I can't compete with that.
0: And they've um, taken
1: tests and passed them. Yeah, they've written papers. Oh, even worse, maybe they've even published something. <laughs> so now they have like some kind of authority, and they have yeah. a license. Yeah, and they and they and they know how to parent or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's hilarious. Yeah, I see that. I, it,
0: but even if couples come in and, and, you know, they're not relationship experts professionally, sometimes they've read a lot of books or listened to a lot of podcasts or, oh, oh. I mean, it's in the information age, anybody, if they want to spend the time can become, like you said, the teacher in the relationship
1: easily. Totally. I've They've read a ton of self-help books. When couples come in and I ask about like, if they would like homework or anything to read, and like it's clear, one partner has a library at home, like an entire room full of self help books. And the other one hasn't read any of them, even when the, other, the teacher, you know, spouses put them on the bedside table, put them on the, <laughs> the counter, put them in the bathroom, bookmark stuff, you know, highlighted things and I put little notes in there. Please read page three, paragraph six. If you really loved me, you would read this. <laughs> oh my. Oh boy. <laughs> We laugh, but I, I've done those things. Yeah, <laughs> or, or variations of them. Yeah. So again, yeah. So, sometimes, or, or actually, let me back up a little bit. So yeah, the the student feels like they can't compete with this, so they don't do anything, or they resist, right? Like, yeah, but okay, I know you know stuff at work, but et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and then there's sort of some tension there. You know, or the teacher says, hey, can you read this book? It's called Hold Me Tight. And the student says, you know, ah, I'm too busy, you know. Mm. And again, they're sort of still playing that dynamic. Kind of what I was saying earlier is a, a problem. An extra problem here is that sometimes the teacher is actually right.
2: Oh, this sure. is a real problem. Yeah. Sometimes
1: they like literally anyone could line up and like watch this couple talking and they would go, yeah, this teacher has a good point. They're actually right. Like this thing that they're trying to teach their spouse on is healthy. Like, like what they're trying to communicate is like a better way to live or it's a healthier way or it fits more with their value system. And the, the, the teacher has all sorts of good insight. Now my insight, you know, only like 20% of it was good, but they have all sorts of good insight. And this, but this is especially bad because again, how do you get out of this pattern when, you know, it's about I'm right in this person as
2: yeah, yeah, you're back to the hierarchy.
1: Exactly. So Man, yeah. you know, the goal here, right, is like no more unsolicited advice, unsolicited observations, telling each other what to do. The student has to stand up for themselves. Hey, I'm going to parent my own way. I know you have this, you know, for, for me, it was Circle of Security, which is an attachment-based parenting program that I really love. And my amazing wife, she even made herself little sticky notes and put them around the kitchen to remind herself about how to do this better. I still feel bad about that. And she just felt so overwhelmed with all of this because she even knew like, ooh, this is like evidence-based parenting and I should be doing this. And Adam, my grad student husband says, this is good. And I, I know this, and but it was just so much pressure. And again, it's putting us in the role of, I'm coaching her, which is, it's yeah. gross.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: Yeah. That's so
0: true. And, and I, I think sometimes also, you can build an army, whether it's just of all the people that are behind the research or the information, but even like the therapist you're working with, you know, who's got those same books on their bookshelf or so-and-so who gave it to you, or, you know, you can you can really leverage other relationships to try and get your partner into compliance. And it's so damaging to not recognize what you're doing to the
1: relationship when you're trying to be right. It's really kind of exploitative in a sense to leverage. Mm-hmm these other sources to get power over your spouse. Like I see people do this with religion, like, well, our religion teaches this, or they sort of try to create this triangle with God, like, well, God says we need to do this, which maybe that's true in this situation for this couple and according to their beliefs. But still it's it's exploitative and it's leveraging this power and it's continuing this sort of teacher-student dynamic where our therapist said to read this book, why aren't you reading it? Or research says this about this issue, And here are my 27 articles about research on this issue. So, therefore, you should, right? And it's still Mm -hmm. continuing that same.
2: Well, and I I imagine also from personal experience, it's no more gratifying to be the teacher and be right. And because then what? Then you're essentially (laughs) stuck with somebody who can't keep up or you can't trust or you can't connect with. So, it's a lose-lose.
1: Oh, yeah. So true. And lonely. Yeah, do you want... Do you want to meet those sort of, which are, they're important, those sort of identity needs to feel competent about yourself, which are important, but also like you can get those and then lose the connection entirely.
2: Yeah. I was right. A- yeah.
1: Congratulations, yeah. you won. Yes. Yeah. Golf clap and then we'll just like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what now? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Like you end up losing. Mm hmm.
0: So, yeah, I, that's I mean, not not to speak perfect. of what what that does for the parents' credibility if this is done in front of the children, in terms of really diminishing the student, quote unquote, parent who looks like the idiot who never knows what they're doing. You know, it just I think it can really bleed into other relationships, especially for children. And so I think it's you know it's it's impactful on so many levels, of course.
1: Yeah. So those three patterns are sort of patterns that occur more commonly and sort of on that basic level. And if one of those three, or sometimes all of those three are happening in different moments, it's really hard to do, say, conflict very well, or to have a lot of intimacy or emotional connection when one of those three is occurring. So that pursue, withdraw, over, under-functioning, and sort of that, you know, frustrated teacher, rebellious student kind of thing. If one of those is going on, it's really hard to to do much else in the marriage that, that, that can work very well. So this next level is about how we handle conflict or control in the relationship. So, and I'm going to be a little bit quicker with each of these um, just because of the time, but the first one is similar to pursue withdrawal, but we call this like a demand withdrawal. So this is where one spouse wants the other to do something, or they want them to stop doing something. And the other person doesn't comply, right? It's not like, Hey, could you please do this thing? And the other person says, "Sure, I'm going to work on this," and they they try to do it. This is where the other person says, nah, e- "Either out- outwardly, I don't want to do this, or not, or, or like more passive, right? It's not overt." Sometimes the demand might even seem valid, like, "Hey, mm-hmm. I'd like you to drink less." Could mm-hmm. you know
2: that,
1: that's sort of sort of a request, uh, but maybe it comes across as more demanding. And maybe the therapist in that situation even sides with the person who's demanding, like, "Yeah, hey, this kind of makes sense," or. Maybe the demand seems unreasonable. I don't want you to ever be attracted to anyone else outside of this relationship, right? Mm -hmm. Those feelings come up for any, for, for almost anyone. It Mm -hmm. seems to the therapist, like an unreasonable demand. And so you side with the withdraw with the withdrawing sort of resisting person, which again can kind of exacerbate the pattern again, because there's, they're doing this demand, resist demand, withdraw kind of thing. So that's just sort of a basic, one of the first basic kind of conflict patterns that, that people get into. The next one And I think you mentioned this a bit ago, it's sort of this flare, flare pattern. So Sue Johnson, the EFT therapist, calls this like find the bad guy or blame, blame or attack, attack. So usually like one person does bring up issues. John Gottman calls this a harsh startup in the way they might bring up the issue, though not always. It's not always harsh when it comes up. So they bring up an issue. I have this problem. The other one's right there with them. They're not passive or withdrawing. But sometimes they escalate it even more, which is where it really becomes a problem. And then they're, you know, they're, they're name-calling. Later on, they both regret their behavior as that was escalating. It usually starts with sort of one person sort of flaring or blaming. The other person sort of might submit initially, but you know, they don't like that and they're going to they're gonna one-up. <laughs> so it, this can be kind of really explosive in a way, mm-hmm. louder, right. but both kind of flare.
0: Yeah. And I've had some couples that do that, that in some ways feel like they have a lot of, they feel passionate, like they... They almost mm. they almost yeah. write it off as like, yeah, we're just both, you know, and maybe culturally, there might be some communities, cultures who, I mean, I'm thinking like Cake Boss, right? Like that TV <laughs> show where you know, it's that Italian New York family. Just like, getting somebody's face about it. Yeah. I mean, you know, in, in my family of origin, if like you had talked to each other like that, there'd be problems like mm. that. That's just, you just don't talk like that. We just didn't do that. But for them, it's just another day at the bakery. <laughs> and. And so a lot of people sometimes will look at that and maybe even minimize the potential problems with that because they'll be like, we're just intense people. We're just passionate people. And maybe as long as I guess each person doesn't feel diminished or doesn't feel, I don't know what the measure would be, but I think there's room for people to be intense and be passionate. I think it's how, how you kind of are, whether you're intact after it or not, or feel closer. If you get, you
1: know. Yeah. Are either of you doing things that are damaging? Are you, are you regretting yeah. it later? Or is it escalating where it's not just like there. And we kind of stay yeah. there, but it's like,
2: oh
0: yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, laddering yeah. up, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good. And I word. see that with the cultural thing you brought up is important too, because you know a big boundary issue that I see a lot with couples is just interrupting each other when they're talking. Sure. But in some families, and some cultures, the interruption is just there's just sort of this over talking, and this is just how right. they talk at the dinner table, and nobody, everybody's fine. But yeah, in and with a lot of couples I work with, it's not, and it's disrespectful. So it depends on the culture. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. So the next one here, sort of a variation of that is one person flares, the other person submits. But what happens when you have a person submitting is, as I said a bit ago, they eventually retaliate. They find a way to get back somehow because they've been sort of selling themselves out. So one person gets loud or they complain or they're dismissive or they're aggressive and the other shuts down or they just submit and they just kind of give in like, yeah, you're right. It's fine. I just learned that in my marriage, I just always say to my wife, you're right, or whatever. I've heard that kind of sentiment. It's sort of a flare submit kind of thing. I'm not going to fight back. I'm going to just go, kind of go quiet. Maybe I'll leave the room. It's different than, you know, in, in some some marital books, they, they use the term stonewalling, which is sort of like shutting your partner out and ignoring them. This is not not stonewalling. It's just sort of giving in. There's an argument I just give in. We're happier if I just give in. This pattern happens really fast. The problem is, though, is again, later on, that submitter finds a way, on purpose or not. I've seen this where they didn't know they were doing it. They find a way to retaliate. They find a way to get their get some power back. They find, because you have another adult. you know, That other adult is going to have a hard time being in that submitting role forever. Maybe they use a third party. So you have one person who flares. The other person says, yeah, honey, you're right. And then this person goes to the kids that night and says, you know, your father has an anger problem. And so they're using the kids, right? Yeah, it's sort yeah, of like, or they take them to therapy. You know, my, my partner does this or whatever. And they sort of get, a, get, get some support from a third party. Or even worse, maybe the, the spouse who flares feels bad, which is good to feel bad when you cross one of your own values. But maybe, maybe they feel bad about it and then they apologize. Like, hey, I'm sorry for flaring earlier. I'm sorry that I acted this way. And then to get back, the submitter lectures them on what they did. But yeah, Let me explain to you how it hurt me and how I'm morally superior and how you have an anger management problem, which they may. Or the submitter keeps secrets or they withhold something like affection or sex. Whatever it is, it's a way to rebalance the power. So that's sort of that flare, submit, <laughs> retaliate kind of thing.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's a important one
0: to like break down because i think for a lot of it it would look it would be that'd be a hard one to detect on the surface because you get to, like you said it happens fast you get to peace quickly and you could almost believe like we don't have any problems like we're doing really well and like on the surface it probably looks pretty peaceful
1: yeah and that that retaliation can come an hour a day a year later like mm-hmm. cannot be always obvious just looks like they just sort of have this thing going on but yeah He's getting back in some way. I'm always kind of looking for that. And it can almost be like an unspoken agreement of like, this
0: is kind of how we keep the equilibrium in the relationship. And in some ways, I guess if it works for both of them and they're fine with it, maybe it's not dysfunctional. But if it's obviously like hurting and not working for one or both of them, then it has to be addressed. But I always hate to see that be at somebody's expense. I hate to see somebody just feeling like they have to do that to keep the peace. That's when it starts to break people down. Yeah, for sure. Adam, I know that you said that you had like 12 of these. We went through six just now. Oh my so yeah. gosh. Okay. It's just half. So I know we have to end here because I've, I've got to move on to another appointment here, but can we have you back to do
1: the other six? Because I'm yeah, loving this. Yeah, it.
2: So fascinating. Quick preview. Yes.
1: Quick okay. preview. So the, the very next one that we'll talk about next time is a secrecy detection kind of pattern, which relates to, I think, a lot of the topics you've had with the podcast before. So I'm excited to. Ooh, yeah. To we'll lead off with that one.
2: Yeah, that sounds great.
1: You're just going to give us a sneak peek
0: of number seven. That's it. That's yeah. it. Yeah.
2: Okay. I love it. I love it. Plenty teaser.
0: Get people to come back and listen to the other yeah. six. That'll be so great. And uh, right. I love this. This is this is really great. And I hope, you know, the listeners can find themselves and I'm listening to this. And I know Jody and I have a great discussion <laughs> oh, <yeah>. tonight <laughs> as we review the first. As set. equals. As, as equals. That's
2: right. <laughs> Naturally, that's right. of course we will.
0: <laughs> But man, I mean, we've been married for almost 26 years. And yeah, I, I see myself in almost all of these mm-hmm. somewhere. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just incredible. I love the way you break it down. And you can hopefully, you know, laugh at yourself, laugh at the, the silliness of it, the the patterns. I mean, they, they can you can get some, a little distance from them, and recognize it. Like you said, they're not rooted in who you are as a person. They're just cycles we get stuck in as humans. And, mm-hmm. and there's hope that we can get out of them, which I love. Oh, yeah, for sure.
1: Okay, Adam, we'll uh, we'll push pause today and we'll have you back soon. Okay, thank you. Looking forward to it. Take care.
0: Thanks. Thanks for listening, everyone. As you could tell, we did not get through all 12 of the patterns and we have to get Dr. Fisher rescheduled to come back on the podcast and finish out this interview. There's so much great information and we wish we could have done it all in one episode, but there is no way we could do that. So we'll get him rescheduled And look forward to sharing the rest of this with all of you. You can learn more about Dr. Fisher and the great work that he's doing on his website, adamfisherphd.com. And you can also find him on Instagram at adamfisherphd. I'll put links to all of that in the show notes. And you can find him and the great work that he's doing. And if you want additional resources, especially a free guide on how to get out of marriage conflicts in your relationship, you can visit fromcrisistoconnection.com and we will send you a free PDF download that will help you map out ways to get out of conflict in your marriage. Thanks so much for listening. It's a real pleasure to be with you here every single week, and we will catch you in the next episode.